0: to the Ask Me podcast. I'm your host James Smirthwaite and I'm very lucky to be joined today by Mark Grayston of Mitsubishi Electric. Hi Mark, how are you? Very well thanks, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad at all. So today we're kicking off the second series of the Ask Me podcast and we're going to be talking a lot about sustainability. Um, Obviously a big thing that we're doing as as a brand um, with the products that we supply to the market um, but also we are being asked to do a lot more about embodied carbon and how much carbon usage we've got within our business and within our products, which is why we brought along today, Mark. So Mark, did you want to talk a little bit about what you do within the business and your roles at the moment? Yeah, sure. So I head up the uh, the product team for the, the commercial side of the business.
1: Um, so we're looking at uh, introducing new products, working with the factories on future product developments and, and launching products out into the, the UK marketplace. So you're really quiet. Not a lot today. There's <laughs> not a lot going on, no, no. Um, it's obviously, you know, the, 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 the way in that things are changing and the market requirements and the, the legislation and focus, you know, really, really does focus towards how products are developed and how products are shaped and, and put into the market. So really, really in, important topics for us um, to stay on top of uh, and to keep discussing about how, how we best
0: work with customers and what their needs are because previously it's all been about who's brought out the most efficient product. And that's kind of been the key really, isn't it? Who's either the one that fits in the smallest footprint or the quietest or the most efficient. Whereas now the market is kind of being forced to shift towards the most efficient kit anyway, but there's a lot more that goes with that now. So but the topic today, really what I wanted to talk to you about was embodied carbon. Um, it's something that we've been talking a lot about as a team, the corporate team within Mitsubishi and um, i wanted to try and understand what we're doing as a business to to try and work that out so did you want to start off with just what embodied carbon is yeah
1: sure so um, as you said you know we we're, we're quite well versed as a as a country and as a as a, a building services hvac market on operational carbon in terms of how much carbon's associated to the running of our equipment once it's installed but the the embodied carbon is is the amount of carbon that's associated to the product itself so through the materials that are used, through the manufacturing process, through the transportation, um, through the, the servicing through its life and the end of its life. So it's looking at all of the, the amount of carbon that's associated to all of those uh, linked to an individual product or a group of products. Um, you can then look at that in terms of how those products then integrate with the other products in the buildings, the materials, the, the concrete, the, the
0: steels, the structures to get a, a better picture of um, your, your total carbon in a building. So that's that's not just within the products, and like you just said a minute ago, it's it's how much carbon is in the manufacturing of that particular equipment, and also the transport of it to site, and also in its lifetime of, of operating. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So the embodied carbon essentially captures all elements of carbon uh, around the product uh, from the, the sort of they call it cradle to grave, or uh, you know, right from the sort of. The conception, um, when the, the, the raw materials are gathered and processed, the raw materials are, are taken then onto a manufacturing location and turned into individual components. The components are added into a, a, a compiled product and the energy that it's consumed to, to do that. Um, and then taking that product, shipping it to wherever the location is, uh, its final location. Um, and then also the considerations through its life are mainly around energy uh, all the elements of carbon that are not associated to its uh, operation in terms of its energy consumption during operation so it's looking at uh, replacement parts spare parts that, that may be required um, it's looking at leakage of refrigerant um, it's looking at at the end of life how much can be recovered and the, the distance that that those uh products and those materials need to go to to be processed as well so it's capturing wow. all of those pieces um outside of that operational carbon piece, which is which is quite a well-known piece.
0: So I already thought it was complicated, but it's even more complicated <laughs> than I thought it was, to be fair. I didn't realise there was that much that got into it. So why why do we need to know about it at the moment? What's the importance of embodied carbon um, at this current time? So the, the real drive uh, it, it, from
1: what we're picking up is is the the transparency and the understanding of how much carbon we're, we're currently... Uh, using and operating with, with a view to how do we achieve net zero and how do we achieve that in the time frame that that individual um, companies have. So we've got a generic target of 2050. Um, The government have obviously added on additional levels within their six carbon budget of, of what we're trying to achieve as a country and, you know, being really positive about that. But then you've got individual companies that are suggesting they want to be net zero in their in their building portfolio or in their operation by 2030, 2035. And, and that's not a long way away at all. Um, and in order to do that, um, they really need to understand right now what it is that they're playing with so that they can make decisions about how they can start achieving that in that that particular time frame. So it's that need for transparency, it's that need to understand and be clear. Um, and measure, and then they can work with it to to, to meet the targets that, that we all are,
0: are signed up to. So it's critical, really. So all manufacturers are going to be re- required to do it to meet whoever's timescales are for net zero. So it's it's a critical part of that reporting of how much carbon's within people's estates, I suppose. Really. So it's yeah, with you know, 2050 targets, great, but we're all almost for once being driven by the well, actually, say so for once, we're always driven by the industry, aren't we? There's always a point at which We've always put a lot of work into something and done a lot of background work on, on on information within our products. That there's always a time when people need it, and this is kind of the embodied carbon bit is critical to people's paths to net zero. So, um how you've already mentioned a little bit about all the different things that we need to use to calculate how much carbon's in it. How do we accurately calculate that? Because I, I guess really we're reliant on our suppliers and what they're bringing to us and where equipment's manufactured and all that kind of stuff. Can you kind of talk us through briefly the process of accurately calculating it?
1: Yeah, so uh, Embodied Carbon um, has, has been relatively well known for, for probably a, a few years in in certain parts of the building sort of industry. Um, things like concrete, where it's a, a material that is processed, um, and, you know, they're looking at the, the material, uh, the different materials to gather them, the, the amount of energy it takes to process them, the chemical reactions, the carbon releases during that chemical reaction. Um, and it's, I suppose, you maybe could consider that as a simple product, in, in essence. Um, where it's become more, uh, more, a bit more complex is, is the sort of the HVAC services or the MEP services in a building, the building services. They, they tend to be a combination of, of multiple materials, um, multiple components, potentially from lots of different locations, bringing them all together. What's kind of been put together is there's, there's various different methodologies that are now being put in place um, that enable us to calculate this uh, embodied carbon. Um, and we essentially just have to gather the data of, uh, from a, I suppose from a Mitsubishi Electric point of view, we're looking at the, the percentage of the, uh, the raw materials by weight in those particular products. Um, and also the the sort of the transportation distances, the amount of energy it takes to put all of those components together, um, and adding in as well lifetime of the equipment, the amount of recyclable components, um, various bits of data that we can we can gather and that are available, you know, in the supply chain. It's just a, a data set that's never been been asked for before, kind of, uh, and it's never been requested. So. That's why it's it's taking a bit of time for um, HVAC suppliers to to get up to speed with it um, but it's definitely it's definitely there and it's it's showing some really good things I think for for not only the the data that we can give to the market but also for future product development and how that shapes that
0: so is it is it just a sort of a customer requirement at the moment or is is there a sort of requirement from from policy within government that that needs that yet or is that coming? can we sort of see that coming in the next 10 years?
1: Yeah, so there's nothing uh, yet um, in in the national legislation in the UK. Um, there's various movements that that suggest that, that it's definitely coming at some point. So, in France, for example, their latest um, building regulations due out uh, next year in 2022 have an element of requiring uh, providing embodied carbon data within their sort of their, uh, their energy model. Um, and, you know, if you're not able to provide it, you're kind of going to a standard set of data, which is potentially uh, not going to be as good uh, in terms of looking at carbon. Um, in terms of our market in the UK, uh, the London plan, there's already elements in there around asking for for, for new build um, applications embodied carbon data for the buildings and, and seeing the transparency of that. Um, and I was just actually on a, a, a webinar very recently Um where they were talking about uh, an additional uh, a document on the, the approved documents with the building regulations called, uh, I think it's approved document uh, Z or something part Z um, around embodied carbon. So it looks like they're, they're potentially picking this out and, you know, we've got the the future building, the future home standard coming out in 2025. So we could potentially in that time frame see something integrated um, within there um, and, and, the need to then become, you know, visible, transparent, and and use the the data to, to start making decisions is is, is what's going to going to be happening.
0: Yeah, because I, I did, I think I read recently that the UK Green Building Council were considering it for their recent um, revision that came out, and I think they haven't put it in there on this one probably because people aren't far enough along their own internal journeys of working out how much carbon's within the products. So I know it's been a you know, massive task for you in the team. Um, to try and start the journey of that. But what's the ways of reporting it? Is is there sort of like a a way that we publish the data, the carbon that's in a product? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of
1: different um, methodologies in place. Um, There's an EPD or an Environmental Product Declaration, um, and that uses a a sort of a national standard to calculate through embodied carbon. Um, It is the most accurate way to do it, um, but it is a bit... uh, difficult lengthy and a bit a little bit costly for for suppliers to do um it is still the the preferred method i think from from an industry point of view and you do see uh, a scattering of EPDs in the sort of the 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 industry and and very very few um uh, building services products have EPDs it seems to be at the moment, more being done to understand the process, understand what's required, um, and definitely us as a manufacturer, we're we're also going through that at the moment, trying to understand what's involved in an EPD and how we can do it and how maybe it looks uh, for our future portfolio of, of, of um, body carbon data. Um, We've also got a different methodology uh, that Sibcy introduced earlier this year, TM sixty five technical memorandum sixty five. That's a really good, uh, a basic or a mid level calculation for embodied carbon um, that utilises um, some some assumptions and some understanding from EPDs. Working closely with a lot of the the supply chain to start building up this calculation to enable manufacturers to just put in the, the data that they have um, and create embodied carbon data that is pretty accurate maybe not quite as accurate as an EPD but it's pretty good um, and and enables us to to be able to come to the market a lot quicker with this data a lot more transparent with this data Um, and especially at this time frame I think that we're in and what customers are looking for is you know they're not particularly looking for one specific model at the moment they're looking for you know, typically, what is a VRS type system going to be in terms of body carbon in my building? What's a chiller or a heat pump or ventilation air handling unit? What's it going to be? Um, and without that understanding, it's, it's very difficult to sort of start beyond that. Um, and that that method is giving us a really, really good uh, traction to move forward upon that.
0: That's good, yeah. Well, Sibsi has obviously tried to simplify it and get us on the journey towards the EPDs because I know they're quite they're quite can be quite complicated and a lot of work involved, like you said. So. It's, you know, it's brilliant. we starting there. And a lot, to be fair, a lot of customers I'm talking to, a lot of sort of corporate end users, um, they're just dropping that question into conversation at the moment. Have we got any data on EPDs? Have we got any products that are on the EPD register? You know, so it, it is becoming more of a um, at the front of people's thoughts. And, and it's something that I think over the next 12 to 18 months is going to get asked for even more. Um, something else I have heard about as well is PEP um yeah. are you able to sort of elaborate a bit on that as well yeah sure so uh,
1: the pep is the, uh, the the methodology that they're using in france it's it's very very similar to an epd and a tm65 in the way it operates it's it's just the the way in which they're doing it and the sort of the format that they're following for their building regs through uh in france Um there's actually some um some you notes know, sort of the, the bodies that manage these um that that recognize a pep as an epd so there's potentially some of the great work that, that France are, are working on at the moment and the, and the French market are working on that we can utilise in the UK market as well and translate that that body calm data across. So it, it definitely is from a Mitsubishi Electric point of view, a sort of a joint uh, joint effort between UK and France at the moment. We seem to be the two sort of leading spearheading markets in this, in this arena. Um, and that, that's really positive when we're working with our, our factories
0: on a, on a worldwide scale to show this, this growing importance good and uh, what are the sort of biggest factors that impact the amount of carbon in the product because i know you know on a personal level sort of done my own carbon footprint and was quite surprised at the things that had the biggest impact transport was sort of top you know for deliveries of things from amazon or whoever else we're getting deliveries you know to our house that seemed to be the biggest contributor for the amount of carbon so is it the raw material or you know as it's manufactured or is it the transport costs or you know what part of our products contributes the most carbon so uh, i think it's it's really important to
1: to remember at this point and to sort of reflect on embodied carbon is an additional element that we're talking about here and actually we you know we need to remember that these products are used in life 10 15 20 years um so the, the balance between embodied and operational carbon is is still definitely an, ar- an argument and definitely a, a consideration that we need to think about. Um, and actually in these products that are that are generally used to, you know, whether heat, cool or ventilate a building, um, their operational carbon is still the biggest percentage. Um, so efficiencies in equipment is still a top priority. You can be talking at least a half to, to three quarters of its whole life carbon being towards operational um uh, energy and operational carbon. Um within embodied carbon itself, within the product, um the materials make up a big chunk of it when we're looking at HVAC and, and uh these sort of the complex HVAC and products. Um and you know again within a material so aluminium is actually quite a high in body carbon compared to steel. Um, so on one flip side it's it's lighter obviously um and it's you know it, it has its own benefits there's certain things that you can do with aluminium heat exchangers that improve the efficiency but then on the flip side you have some more uh, embodied carbon so there's that kind of little bit of way up there.
0: Is, is that sorry just is that just to do with the manufacturing process of that raw material is is that where it comes from? I, it's, I don't know the, the, the
1: great detail of it but I would imagine it's to do with the mining process mm. and the, yeah the, the sort of the processing of that material to get it to, to that finish date is higher than, than a raw steel yeah okay
0: so i'm sort of looking long term then really is that do you think there's going to be a point where sort of there, like you said the trade-offs between efficiency if there's small gains on efficiency by changing a particular material type and then that has a bigger impact on the carbon do you think products might be designed around sort of having the lowest carbon footprint possible rather than the highest efficiency is there going to be that kind of sort of marketplace going on going forwards which would be interesting yeah it's an interesting
1: balance and it's an interesting thing that we're we're really looking at with the factories now on some some future product developments that we have um and, and you know i suppose one other big big contributor uh with with products that heat and cool is refrigerant so the amount of and the, the global warming potential of the refrigerant makes a big difference to the embodied carbon um and that's that's mainly through its operational life um assuming there's a a percentage of leakage through that life, um, so the change in the refrigerant, uh, which very much closely maps with the the F gas phase down and everything that's trying to be done there, is is super important, and that super, continues to be really really important to minimise um, carbon of products and, and minimise global warming as well. Um, the, the material choice versus the efficiency. And even when you look at the way that the, the electrical grid is cre- cleaning uh, or, or, you know, projected to be cleaning over the, the next 15 to 20 years, the operational carbon is still the biggest chunk. So, you know, efficiency on an a, a annualized seasonal basis is is still the most important piece, um, but it is trying to figure out, okay, where do you balance it and where do you get to on this net zero journey? Um, towards 2050 where you do start making considerations do you decide okay I need to increase my uh, efficiency of the product to bring the overall whole life carbon down but that means making it larger potentially or using different materials to achieve that um, so it is it's an interesting point and we have to consider it with um, not only obviously the carbon associated but its effectiveness. Uh, the safety of the product, um, the quality of the product, and obviously the, the sort of the price and the, the amount of, uh, of price that people are willing to pay for that product as well. So it's it's an interesting uh, factor to add into to how we consider developing future products, but a really important. Yeah,
0: I'll, I'm going to throw this one in there as well. I don't think we've really spoken about this, so I'll put you on the spot. But um, the way you're talking about there as well, obviously we we sell a lot of heat pumps and it's it's been a big, big conversation over the last couple of years. And it's, We've always sold them, um, but more and more so now it's becoming a big part of the UK's and well, globally, really, the, the, the future of heating within within domestic dwellings and commercial dwellings. So when we're talking about embodied carbon in our products, obviously you talk about the refrigerant that's in there. Do you know if, if embodied carbon is going to be looked at from a gas boiler perspective and in terms of obviously how much gas is being used in that product and what the carbon content of that gas is? So you know long term boilers are going to have a huge carbon footprint obviously naturally they will do but is there going to be sort of regulations or can you see regulations coming that are going to kind of have a cut off point with that product in terms of its lifespan so you know might be i'd only put a gas boiler in for 5 years and then you have to replace it for a new one or some sort of other technology or um, is that something that's been discussed within the business or you know within the marketplace at all yeah definitely um
1: i mean it's- so SIPC in their, in their TM65 document, and they're also working with uh, Elementor on a, a research paper that kind of looks into this specifically and, and some of the sort of future elements around the heating space. Um, and we've also been doing some studies on on this, you know, comparing a gas boiler um, against the heat pump on on this uh, whole life carbon, which is, again, the really important bit when we're looking at uh, comparing these technologies. Um And yes, uh, you know, a gas boiler in terms of the materials that are used um, and the way that they're put together and sometimes the sort of the manufacturing location is means that the embodied carbon is quite significantly less than an equivalent heat pump. But you rightly say that the operational carbon over a typical 15 year lifespan, you're looking at when we're sort of modeling some of the domestic models, uh, a whole life carbon payback of around two years from a heat pump to a gas boiler. So it's okay, you know, it's just adding to that argument and uh, and I think with future um building regulations it will just naturally get have to be phased out because you won't be able to achieve what you're trying to achieve with a gas boiler. Um in fact in, you know, when they're talking about net zero um especially in new buildings, that a lot of the definitions that are going around are saying it's a it's a building that does not burn uh, fossil fuels. It's just all adding up really to, to, to say, let's stop burning fossil fuels.
0: Yeah, that'd be good, please. Yeah, that'd be good, that'd be good. So that, that two years you're talking about that to your, to your payback, you're basically saying that the difference between the embodied carbon in a heat pump, for instance, and a gas boiler, the, the heat pump's got more embodied carbon in it because of where it's manufactured and the process and the components that are, it, that are in there. But within two years of it being in operation, you've already clawed that difference back. And then from that point onwards, you're then saving carbon effectively against the gas boiler.
1: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So at the end of that 15 year period, yeah, you'll do
1: the maths, I suppose it's, it multiplies out. Yeah. yeah. um, And and the grid is getting cleaner year on year
0: as well. Whereas if you're compared to natural gas, that has a a fixed emission to it at the moment. Yeah. I think people are taking some sort of, you know, snapshots of it at the moment and talking about differences between heat pumps and gas boilers and, the amount of carbon in them at the moment, but without the realisation that, you know, maybe in five or 10 years' time, the grid is going to be, you know, pretty much driven completely by renewable energy. So it's um, it's um good. So um, what are people going to do with the actual information we provide? So whether it's through an EPD or whether we're providing them the information through the TM65 document you're talking about, obviously we're, we're talking to consultants and contractors and such like about giving them that information. What are they then going to do with it? Yeah, so um, at the moment, I suppose, to
1: give us a perspective of, of where we're at as Mitsubishi Electric, um, we've currently released um, one TM65 document around one of our commercial heat pumps, um, and we plan to release a, a further around 20 um, documents on a sort of a, a spread of products across the portfolio from your sort of split air conditioning, a VRF air conditioning uh, with different refrigerant types, uh, heat pumps, chillers, ventilation units, Um uh, and to kind of go alongside that as well, we're, we're, we're releasing a, a, a document to explain a bit more about embodied carbon, um, embodied carbon around HVAC systems and, and the systems that we provide, and also provide some tabulated, simple data uh, that people can say, hey, I've got 100 kilowatts worth of VRF in my building, what sort of embodied carbon am I looking at? And that's that's the stage at the moment that we're finding um, uh clients and customers and consultants that we're working with are looking for they're looking for I've got this in my building Um, I don't really know how much embodied carbon is associated to this compared to the, the concrete the steels the windows all the other services going in the building let me understand that first let me have that data so I can understand it and then from that point um, let me start making some decisions about what I choose, whether it be technology type, whether it be uh, the way in which it's applied, whether it be a, a, a trade-off between one type of reduction against another type of reduction. Um, but at the moment, it's definitely that understanding piece. I don't think very many people have a, a really good understanding of all of the different elements of a building. But uh, and until they get that, they can then
0: they can't really make the decisions to to, to reduce upon it. Yeah, because I can imagine there being some sort of shocks that come out that people think, well, I mean, you know, I didn't realise there was that much embodied carbon or operational carbon in certain things that you would just assume there's not a lot in, whether it's, you know, whether it's a cheap product that's just gets bought. I mean, it, you know, concrete's a really good example, I suppose. People, it's been one that's been done quite quickly because I've seen the figures on embodied carbon in, in concrete. And obviously that's a big part of buildings. There's no real operational carbon within it, I suppose. But it's quite a quick one. But I guess there's going to be certain things in a building that people are going to go, blimey, you know, we can make a real quick win on that by doing, you know, swapping that to that or whatever. So that's going to be interesting to see where it goes. And, you know, what's what's the kind of end goal for us? Is there stuff we're trying to do to reduce the amount of embodied carbon in products yet? Or are we simply just trying to work out how much is in there first and then see, you know, similar in a way, you're talking a minute ago about people wanting to see where the different amounts of carbon are within a building where they can make changes. Are we doing the same with the product and then potentially make swap like you said earlier on about swapping aluminium for steel and whatever are we starting to look at that a lot more yet or is that are we still in that kind of point of trying to work out what's where i think
1: uh using embodied carbon as the, as the measure stick uh it's still quite new in, in the way it's sort of shaping product development um i think what what is already happening and, and what's clear is it, it, it pulls together other pieces of directives and legislation that are kind of around, but, but makes it very transparent to see what that looks like. Um, so like I mentioned before, the, the probably the biggest influence and change that can be made when looking at uh, Mitsubishi Electric products or, or other HVAC products is the refrigerant that's being used. A lower GWP refrigerant makes significant drop in, in the total embodied carbon. I mean, we've got an example of a... Uh, a product, um, a commercial heating product, you know, heat pump product. Um, future development, changing the refrigerant alone can reduce the embodied carbon by fifty percent. So it's, like. it's there's some significant um, changes and improvements that can be made, but they're, you know, historically they've been driven by the F-gas regulations. But this is just bringing it all to the fore. Material selection, location of um, uh, manufacturer, they're definitely things that are also being looked at. You know bringing more uh, localised manufacturing. For example, we have a manufacturing plant up in Scotland. uh, We have manufacturing in in Turkey and in um, Italy. You know, looking at that localised manufacturing, whether it be for obviously the embodied carbon and the environmental benefit, but also bringing that ability and that flexibility of having uh, the manufacturing closer to home so they can better understand the market requirements. They can uh, better get feedback. We can better provide, you know, uh, quicker service into the market.
0: So those sort of things, happen. I think. I guess on that as well, it's it's are people that are going to be choosing locations to manufacture equipment that has a very green grid, for instance, or, uh, you know, as close as possible to the market or their biggest market. So, I mean, we're, we're quite fortunate. Like you said, we've got manufacturing facility in Scotland. Um, you know, the grid's getting greener, as you mentioned. So, it's you know, it's a good point for us, really. And I'd seen a lot of other manufacturers in in different industries, you know, the car, car manufacturing's, a big one at the moment. Nissan are building a big battery plant um, in the UK. British world' are building a brand new battery plant in the UK to provide batteries for manufacturers that are building equipment here. So obviously the amount of embodied carbon in those products is a lot less because it's not having to be transported so far. So do you think other people are going to start to do that? You know, pick green locations. Scandinavia is a good point. You know, there's a very, very green grid over there. Can you see that coming? I could probably see that coming in, you know, in the future,
1: and there's quite a lot of sort of good documents and, and good uh, research that have been done by various um, people in the industry that kind of um, are breaking down this net zero path to, to not going from where we are now to straight going there. You know, you need to do it in steps. And I think with the with, with the embodied carbon thing, it's, it's the yeah. same or, or the whole life carbon. It's the same sort of thing. You know, we need we need to keep striving for better and better efficiencies of products. Through innovation, through new technology, we need to strive to reduce the refrigerant volume um, and the refrigerant uh, global warming potential. I think once we then got to there, we're like, okay, what materials can we use, and, and what um, manufacturing location can we have? As that percentage in the pie gets bigger and bigger, we then need to start shrinking it down. But there's some, I think there's some greater savings to be made in other areas um, to prioritize first.
0: So from a product point of view, from, from, from our side of things, things like HBRF, where there's less refrigerant in the system and we can use lower GWP refrigerants because of the volume of refrigerant that's actually in that, that's obviously gonna be a huge thing for us going forwards, that type of product, I guess.
1: Yeah, massively. I mean, you, you know, we're, we're modeling this out and, and your traditional um, VRF type system with a R410A refrigerant, which is the most common system still used in the VRF market in the UK. Um, and across Europe and, and most of the world, to be honest. Um, you change that to an R32 system, you've reduced your GWP of your refrigerant by about uh, 60%, 65%. You use h you've reduced the, the volume by around another 30 to 40%. And your embodied carbon is kind of going to nearly a, sort of a quarter to 20% of, of that other system. Wow. With operational efficiencies that are pretty similar. Uh, and and the the additional benefits that it's kind of bringing in terms of when we're looking at these other refrigerants that have mildly flammable characteristics it's a you know if if this is something that's that's on the agenda and on the interest level for for companies then it's a natural choice and a natural way to go this type of solution good so
0: you're gonna be really really busy going forwards. i can see it so um fantastic uh, mark i just wanted to say a huge thank you for coming on um it's been really interesting sorry i put you on a spot with a few extra questions that you not discussed previously but um thank you so much for your time today
1: no problem thank you so much james